Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a second scripture passage. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise Him from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and He has lifted up a horn for His people. Praise for all His godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank You for creating a wondrous world. We thank You for creating a world full of sound and music. And we thank You for creating a world and creating us so that we can resound and echo the music of the creation, the music that is Your own life. We pray that You would teach us to sing. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We tend to prioritize vision. Seeing is believing, we say. If we can't see something, we're skeptical about it. But in fact, visual things, the visible things, are not the foundation of creation. Sound is the foundation of creation. Unless there is sound, nothing is visible. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Nothing is visible. Even if anything were visible, it would just be shapeless and empty. Nothing is visible until God speaks. And when His voice sounds out, let there be light, then there is light, and then things begin to be visible. And He makes things that enter into the light and share in the light. But the foundation of everything is the voice and the speech of God. Sound is more fundamental to the creation than sight, than vision. But I think we can go a step further. A couple weeks ago when I preached here, I spoke about God as a singer. That's the God that the Bible reveals, a God who sings. He sings love songs to his bride. He sings songs of lament over the unfaithfulness of his bride. He sings songs of victory. He sings taunt songs against his defeated enemy. In fact, we can say that the life of God as revealed, especially in the New Testament, is a musical life. The Father eternally speaks his word by the breath of the Spirit 
The Father eternally speaks the song that is the second person by the music and the tonality and the melody that is the Spirit. Music provides us with the language that we need to describe the internal life of the Trinity. The unified diversity of God's life is best expressed in musical terms. The three persons are attuned, perfectly attuned to one another. The life of God is a three-voiced madrigal. The life of God is polyphony. The life of God is a fugue in three tunes. Each voice of the three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is so perfectly blended with the voices of the others as to make an eternal, perfect harmony of eternal bliss. God is a musical God who himself sings. And when he makes a world, he's going to make a world, not just a world of sound, founded on sound, founded on the sound of his voice, but a world that is musical. And I think we get hints of this already in Genesis 1. Tolkien and Lewis both said that God sang the world into existence. That's part of their mythology. But I think they were on something that the Bible itself points to. When God creates the world, the Spirit is at work. Before God speaks, the Spirit is at work hovering, fluttering over the waters like a bird. Whenever the Spirit appears elsewhere in Scripture, it comes with a great sound. It comes with the, in the voice of the evening, in uh, the voice of the Spirit, as Genesis 3 says. He comes with a rushing mighty wind at Pentecost. The, the Spirit makes noise, and the fluttering of the Spirit over the dark and formless deep makes sound. It makes music. The Spirit chants the world into order. When God the Father begins to speak His eternal Word as the creative Word, He repeats Himself. Virtually each day there's a let there be. There's a refrain. There's a poetic structure to the way God speaks and to the way God creates. He's singing the world into being. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Each day. And on most days... The text ends with, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. We could put Genesis 1 to music, and we wouldn't have to change much. It's already a musical text, because God sings the world into existence. And creation itself is exists as a variation on the eternal music that is the life of God. If that's true, then creation is created to sing. And because we're the crown of creation, we especially are created to sing and to make music. We're created created as priests in order to offer sacrifice of praise. We're created to be kings, like King David, who invented musical instruments and wrote psalms and organized the priests into a choir. We're created to be prophets, like Elisha, who's inspired to prophesy by a minstrel. Or like Saul, who joins in with the, uh, with the prophets. Is Saul also among the prophets? He joins in with the prophets because he's overtaken by the Spirit. And that Spirit is with the prophets because they're singing and making music. We're created as the images of a singing God to be singers and music makers. But the whole creation sings, not just us. We give voice to the creation, but the whole creation sings according to the Bible. Where were you, Yahweh says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I set up the plumb line and measured all the dimensions of the creation? Where were you when I set the cornerstone of the creation? Where were you 
when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. As God creates, the stars and the angels are singing praise to the Creator. They themselves are created to sing praise, and they are singing praises. Isaiah 14 says, when Yahweh judges uh, the king of Babylon, all creation will take up a taunt song against the king of Babylon. Even the cypress trees and the cedars of Lebanon will rejoice over the fallen king of Babylon. When Israel returns from exile, the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy, and all the trees will clap their hands. Every time God comes to judge, the mountains and the hills and the trees join in praise, join in song. I've read Psalm 148, which is one of the most uh, extensive summons of creation to music. It starts at the highest point of creation. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise, his, praise Him, you angels. Praise Him, you hosts. But it doesn't stop with heaven. It's not just heaven that's full of song of praise to the Creator. It goes down to the deep. Sea monsters and the deep. And everything in between. Birds and animals and all sorts and conditions of men are exhorted to join in one cosmic chorus of praise to the Creator. All the creation is singing. This is something that poets throughout the ages have recognized. If you pull up an old version of the Book of Common Prayer, you can find the Benedicte. The Benedicte is taken from the apocryphal version of the Book of Daniel, which includes some sections uh, that aren't in the canonical Book of Daniel. And one of the things it includes is the so-called Song of the Three Children. We know that they weren't children, but the three men who are put in the fiery furnace are called three children in the apocryphal version. And they sing as they're inside the fiery furnace. And what they sing is a summons, like Psalm 148, a summons to the whole creation to join in praise to God. Winds of God, bless ye the Lord. Praise Him and magnify Him forever. Fire and heat, praise the Lord. Praise Him and magnify Him forever. Winter and summer, bless ye the Lord. Praise Him and magnify Him forever. Dews, frosts, cold, ice, snow, nights, days, light, darkness, everything. Bless the Lord. Praise Him and magnify Him forever. One of the most dramatic poetic examples of this is Christopher Smart's Jubilate Agno. Praise to the Lamb. Rejoice in the Lamb. Of course, Christopher Smart did spend a little bit of time in an asylum, so you have to take that into consideration. But he was an English poet of the 18th century. And he imagined all creation praising God. He imagined the various biblical characters coming into the presence of God with a particular animal. Each one had his own animal, and each animal praised God in his own particular way. Peter comes in. All the apostles, for some reason, come in with fish. Peter comes in with a moonfish who keeps up the life in the waters by night. Thomas rejoices with the swordfish, whose aim is perpetual and strength insuperable. James the last rejoices with the haddock, who brought the piece of money for the Lord and for Peter. It's an imaginative vision, but it fits with what the Bible teaches us about creation joining in praise. All creation sings to the Lord. We might think that that's just kind of a, a quaint way a quaint and kind of outmoded way of thinking about the world. But I don't think that's the way to assess these passages. I think we should instead realize that sound and music 
Musical structures are the basic structures of the world we live in. And when we sing and when we make music, we are harmonizing with the basic patterns and flows of the creation itself. Think about sound for a minute. Think about how sound behaves. If you go home today and sit outside in your yard, on your porch, on your patio, and just pay attention to the various sounds that come at you. Birds might be singing. A car might pass you on the road. Most places in Birmingham, you hear a highway somewhere. You have to, you have to get way up on a hill to get away from the highway. The little hum of the highway. There might be cicadas. The cicadas are already buzzing in the trees at our place. The wind might be blowing, and the wind is uh, rustling the leaves. All of these sounds are happening together, and you can take note of them. You don't notice them all the time, but you can stop and take note of them, and they're all coming at you all the time. That's not the way vision works. You can look at me, and you don't know if I have a back to my head. You only see one surface of me. I might have wires and a battery running in the back of my head. I might be a robotic creature today. You don't know that. You don't know if the back of my robe is white. You haven't seen the back of my robe. You only see surfaces of things. You don't see things in the round. And you only see things one thing at a time. Or you might see several things, but one, one angle at a time. Somebody when it came and stand, stood in front of you, you wouldn't see me and the person standing in front of you. You would just see the person standing in front of you. That's not how sound works. Sound, all the sounds that are going on come at us, and sounds are coming at us all the time, coming from various sources. But that tells us the truth about the world. That's what the world is like. The world is full of things making noise. The world is full of events. The world is full of life. And we can't really access by tasting it. We can't really access that kind of world by smelling it or by seeing it. We access that world. We know the truth about the world, the fullness of the world, the energy of the world, the life of the world. We only know through sound. Sound is more fundamental to our experience of the world than vision in many ways. And music, I think, gives us a clue to some of the basic structures of the world. Think about time for a moment. Time is famously transient. As soon as I say, stop here a moment, the moment's gone. You can't stop and say, I love what's happening now. I want it to last forever. It never does. It just keeps going. And that feels like a threat. It's no wonder that so many religions promise a release from time because it really looks like death might be the true form of life. Because at least in death, everything's staying still. When you're dead, everything's staying still. Unlike life, where everything, everything seems to be dying when you're alive. When you finally die, then everything stands still. And you can really begin to live. Time seems like a threat. Until we start thinking about time as a kind of music. Time is musical. Every moment fades, but every moment fades and passes in order to make room for the next moment. Just like every note or every chord of a piece of music has to die, it has to die to make room for the next moment and the next chord and the next note. If you had an eternal note in a piece of music, it would not be music. It would just be a noise. It would be a sound. Music means that each note yields itself and dies in order to make space for the next note. The beauty of music depends on that. The beauty of music depends on that kind of transience. And the beauty of time, the beauty of history, the beauty of God's world, with all its changes, 
God made a world to change. He didn't make the world in a static state. The beauty of the world in all its changes depends on each moment dying in order to make room for another moment, and then another, and then another. Music gives us a clue to the character of the world, that time is not a threat but an opportunity. Time and its passage are part of the beauty of the world. Many Christians over the centuries have thought about the world as a kind of great symphony, as being organized in a great harmony. In the modern world, we tend to think of the world as a machine, pistons pumping and, uh, and gears turning and everything running on its own by some kind of unknown energy. But in earlier centuries, when our, our, our forefathers looked at the world or listened to the world, they saw evidence of a cosmic harmony. Everything fits and flows and moves together. The creation seems to flow together. The, the heavens seem to move in sync with the earth, and everything on the earth seems to move in sync. The changes of the seasons are moving in the beautiful harmony, in connection with the heavens. Heaven and earth seem to be harmonious with one another. And a well-lived life is a life that's harmonious. A good marriage is one that's characterized by harmony. Friendships should be characterized by harmony and not dissonance. We want our nation, as Rich was saying earlier, we want our nation to be harmonious. What we want is our nation working together like a great symphony, nobody being suppressed, no voice being suppressed, everybody speaking and everybody singing together, everybody making voice together in one great national symphony. That's the way the world ought to be. That's the way the world we hope or the way the world we hope will be. The whole history of redemption is a kind of history of harmony. Adam casts the world into dissonance by his sin. The times are out of joint. The melody of creation no longer flows. But Jesus comes as the last Adam to set things right, to retune the world, to put the creation back into harmony with itself and with God, to put us back into harmony with God and with creation. Grace is harmony. Harmony with God and with one another. And the gospel is a promise of harmony regained. Whether any of that is, uh, you consider that speculative, kind of out there, this thing, this we know, because we heard it just a few moments ago from the scriptures. Someday, Psalm 148 will not be a summons but a fact. Someday, 148, Psalm 148 will be the true of the entire creation. When every created thing, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all the things in them, everything will join in praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the joy that we have before us. Eternal bliss is eternal harmony. The end is music. Creation's endless harmonization on the harmony of the God who is the supreme harmony of all. And every time we sing, every time we sing praise to the one enthroned and to the Lamb, which means every time we gather together and sing here in church, we are anticipating that harmonious end. And we get a little taste of the new creation when every created thing will praise the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb forever and ever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that he has come.
to bring harmony back to the world. And we thank you that through all the turmoil and all the uncertainty of our time, all the dissonance of our time, you are still determined to accomplish that purpose and to bring all creation into harmony. We pray that you would make us agents of that that harmony and that as we sing together, we would present a picture before the world of the harmony that is to come. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ and in his name. Amen.